So this week's Torah portion is Balak. And for those of you who follow my speeches and my various writings over the course of the week, the Rebbe spoke about the idea of truly living with the Parsha, living with the the portion of the week. It comes from the Alter Rebbe, who he said to one of his students, to one of his chassidim, you should live with the times. And when they asked to interpret what does it mean to live with the times, he said you should live with the portion of the, the Torah portion of the week. So let's kind of do a little recap on last week's Torah portion. I had a great issue in last week's Torah portion. I had an issue with the fact that Moses hits the rock and as a result of Moses hitting the rock, he ends up getting a drastic punishment. One that changes the course of his entire life. He wanted to go to Israel. His greatest desire was to go to Israel. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And not to go into all the details of what we've spoken about over the course of Shabbat, but I realize that it talks, that the whole point of this is a message on leadership. That leaders take a responsibility for others, and as a result, if they do something wrong, there's a harsher punishment put on them. Now I want to go and follow this trajectory into this week's Torah portion. And what I'm going to do today is I want to just dissect the first few verses of this week's Torah portion. So, coming in from last week, the Jewish people are flying high, let's just say it. They are having the time of their lives. They, are, they just destroyed the Amorites. They are now coming from the north. So today that would be considered Transjordan, like Jordan, Syria. So they're coming in from the north. They just destroyed the Amorites. They destroyed the Sichon. They destroyed Bashan. Bashan uh, is, uh, today would be the Golan Heights. If just, I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you, so you have an idea of where it is in today's terms. There was a king who was the king of Bashan. His name was Og. Og is a fascinating person. I had this desire as a teenager to write a series of comic books, which that series would be looking at the five books of Moses through the eyes of Og. Because Og, who's this giant, who's the king of Bashan, we, we hear about him first in the story of Noah, and then Moses kills him. So he literally goes through majority of the five books. And I had this whole idea of like, you know, like different things are happening and he's kind of in the background. I don't know, I had all, anyway. So this giant, these two giants of Sichon and Og, they are, they are defeated. And now the Jewish people are invincible. Invincible. There's an amazing excitement because they also know that this is the end of the 40 years. 
And they know that at the end of the 40 years, they get to go into the promised land. So there's a certain sense of excitement. A lot of the people who are here are children of the people who left Egypt. I'm just giving you, setting the scene, so you have an idea of how we're entering this week's Torah portion. Now let's take a look at what happens in this week's Torah portion. We're on page 962 in the blue book. I'm going to read the portion, the verse in Hebrew, and we're going to start off by just translating the literal verse. Vayar, and he saw Balak ben Sipor. So there's a guy named Balak ben Sipor, and he saw. Ace, kol, asher, asai, Yisrael. All that Israel had done, le'amori, to the Amorites. First verse of this week's Torah portion. What do you read here? What's going on here? Understanding the scene that I just set for you, what is, what is going on? What did Balak see? Saw his neighbors get wiped out. He just saw his neighbors get wiped out. Okay. Seems pretty simple, right? Seems like a really simple verse. Like, could you imagine thinking anything more than just, okay, here it is. Balak, the son of Tzippor. We don't even know who he is yet, but we can guess that he's somebody who's kind of in the scene. He's important. The, the name of this week's Torah portion is called Balak, so he's got to be a big, a big dude. So I'm just, we're setting the tone for this week's Torah portion. We've got Balak, he's big time, he's the son of Sipor, and he sees everything that Jews have done to the Amorites. Now I'm going to go one verse further, and then I'm going to back up, okay? Let's just look at one more verse. Vayagar, Moab. And Moab became terrified. Mipnei'am, of the people, which people? I guess the same people that Balak saw. Me'od. Because of uh, their multitudes, because of their great numbers. Kirav hu. Vayakats Moab b'pnei b'nei Yisrael and Moab detested b'nei Yisrael, the children of Israel. Now, what does the next verse say? So Moab, who's Moab? The people of Moab? He could be a person. He could be a nation. Mm. Well, maybe... Now, just to dissect this a bit, what is the difference between verse 2 and verse 3 here? Well, the first one saw and the second was afraid. Mm, there we go. So whoever this Balak guy is, he's just looking. But whoever this Moab guy is, he's afraid. Now, what did Balak see that Moab's afraid of? Or even better, why isn't Balak afraid? Uh, Balak saw something. It doesn't say Balak was afraid. It, no. and, and the verse, look, the Torah is exact. Every word in the Torah, we can dissect every single word of the Torah. So if the Torah is saying that one person saw something and the other person's afraid, then the other person who saw is not afraid. 
You could already deduce. Right. By the way, this is why Torah scholars make the best lawyers. Because, <laughs> because when you're studying Torah, verse by verse, you, you make deductions. I haven't even gone into any commentary yet. We're just looking. I mean, in your translation there, in the light, the light words, you already have some Arashi mixed in. So you're already seeing some of the next stuff that we're going to talk about. But just translating the literal verse, what do we see here? We see that there's a guy named Balak, and he saw something. Now, would we say, it would seem by Yagar, I mean, it should, if, it should have said, if he was afraid, Vayera, or Vayar, Vayagar, Balak. He saw and he was afraid. But it doesn't say that. <clears throat> he saw it, Vayagar, and Moab becomes afraid. And it says, Mipnei Ha'am, which means they became afraid, which we can deduce once again that they become afraid as a result of what he saw. We don't know anything else yet. Follow so far? Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go into Rashi. Rashi is um, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki. He lived in 7th century France. He actually lived in Vitry, France. He was one of the leading rabbis of the European Jewry of the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And Though he doesn't have a monopoly on Torah commentary, he introduced a new way of interpreting the Torah. And it's called Pshutei Shel Mikra, which means the, the simple translation. The simple, which means what Rashi does, which is unique from all the other commentaries, and why, why we call Rashi the foremost biblical commentator, is because he just, as I'm doing, he just dissects the literal verse. So that... Anyone who's reading the verse, you now can understand the verse better than you understood it before. Which the other commentaries will build up, and we'll go into some of the other commentaries soon. But the, um, the other commentaries will build up on various things. But Rashi has the ability to just dissect the actual verse itself. So let's take a look at Rashi. I'm going to read the Rashi. It's, it's here in, in the Hebrew, if you can follow the Hebrew. Otherwise, it's kind of mixed into your translation. So... Vayar Balak, and Balak saw, Rashi is asking the question. Now, something fascinating, you wouldn't know this unless you have a background in Rashi. Generally, Rashi will take one word or two words from the verse. There's something unique that this particular verse and this particular Rashi has. He takes the entire verse. It's not, I actually, off the top of my head, I can't think of five, five other times that Rashi does this. So there's something unique, which you wouldn't know. I'm just giving you a little background in Rashi's study. So that automatically kind of makes me kind of step back a second and say, why is Rashi taking the entire verse? So I'm going to read the Rashi. Amar, he said, Elu shnei malachim, those two kings, shahayinu betuchim alehem, with whom we relied on them. Loi omdu bifneim could not withstand them. Anu al achas kama vakama, certainly we can't. And therefore Moab becomes terrified. So Rashi now explains what 
Balak saw that Moab became terrified. What does he say? That those two kings, referring to last week's Torah portion, which were Sichon and Og, they could not withstand. And they were the kings. And he adds something fascinating, which we don't know without Rashi. I didn't see it anywhere else. We relied on them. What does that mean, we relied on them? What did we rely on? For our security? For our security. So I'll give you a little background. But we wouldn't know this without Rashi. The background on this is, there was no secret that the Jewish people were going to attack. Actually, in those times, it was normal for there to be war. That was an obvious part of being. There was wars. They had 40 years to prepare. So what did they do for 40 years? They knew the Jewish people were going to come from the north. The first nations were going to be Sichon and Og. Sichon and Og were the most powerful nations. They were giants. They were the protectors. So what did they do? They stockpiled. And they gave all of their military resources, financially, to Sichon and Og. Actually, there was a pact, a pact like a United Nations between 31 Canaanite nations. These 31 Canaanite nations, they, all the leaders got together and they said, the Jews are going to come. What's the best way to do it? They all decided in the United Canaanite nations that they were going to put all their resources into Sichon and Og. So for 40 years, they relied on Sichon and Og. Do you know how long it took the Jewish people to conquer Sichon and Og? One day. One day. It was, a, it was, a, it was actually, they, they, all the military was, were in this like, cave, mm-hmm. and, they, and, and, they, and the cave got smashed in. It was an act of God. Literally an act of God. Not the way we say it. So here they're saying, hold on a second. We've got a problem. We put all of our military resources for 40 years on Sichon and Og. The Jewish people wiped them out in one day. We're in trouble. So what are they going to do? So now, let's just, before we continue, before we, we move on, they're obviously terrified. That makes sense. So we now have a clarification just from Rashi alone we just clarified, and we can understand the entire story that happens here. From just we just went through two verses, and we have the whole story here. In two verses, what would you do if you were the Moabites? Open the door or run. Either welcome them or run. Welcome them or run. Okay. No, we can't kill them. So talk to them. If you can't beat them, join them? Yeah. Okay. Do you have any questions on this? Does anything else pop out at you? I've got some things that pop out at me. Kirav who? Because of their great numbers? I don't know about you, but... In my humble opinion, killing Sichon and Og that you put all your military power in for 
40 years in one day, what does it have to do with great numbers? It should have said, because they destroyed Zichon and Og. What are they talking about great numbers here? The Torah does not have one extra word. There's a reason why it says great numbers. It bothers me why it says Ha'am and then says Oh, there it is. Why does it say Ha'am? How many different ways, how many different ways in two verses does it refer to the Jewish people? Let's, let's count them. Asher Asa Yisrael. Ha'am. Ki Rav Hu. Rav. And then B'nai Israel. In two verses, we have four times referring to the Jewish people in three different ways. What else, what else pops out at you? What's my yakat? What? What's my yakat? It's like um, detested. That's the term that is, u- is used to translate by yakats. I don't know what... Uh, yakats, uh, what does it say here? They became sick. Disheartened and sick. That's interesting. By Yakuts, referring to a physical sickness. They literally became physically sick because of the Jewish people. Okay. That's the conclusion. The reason why I'm I'm taking my time here is I want this to bother you a little bit. (laughs) It bothers me. You can tell. (laughs) <laughs> Why they use four different things to talk about one people? Oh, I'm just I'm just pointing that out. But this, all of these elements, I, I don't like the fact that I still don't understand why they're using Rav, the Rav who looked they were great in numbers. I still don't understand why they're using um, f- three different ways of looking at the Jewish people. Um, why you know why can't they get their their their, their narrative straight? What are they? Are they the Yisrael? Are they Rav? Are they Ha'am? What, they can't say what it is? Say the thing. What are you scared of? We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex, to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, when you don't understand something, you're afraid. Oh. So how did they get to wipe Moab? That's right. So we already have in the words that are being used, you can already see they're slurring their words a little bit. They're trying to... Detract. Can you see that? Well, you can see the language that's happening here? There's a language. Ha'am, the nation, the people. He who shall not be named. There's already a fear. You can feel the fear, even in their words. Maybe the, even confusion? Like, we don't, we don't know who these people are. We don't want even to call them. We don't even know what to call them. That's how, that's how confused we are about them. 
We don't even know what to say about these people. Let's, let's go into the other Rashis, the Rashis on verse 3, and then I'm going to add a couple other components here. Vayagar. Rashi, classic Rashi. Rashi's commenting on the fact that they became terrified. Right? That's what, Rashi takes one word and is commenting on it. Lashon Mora. He says, this word denotes fear. We all say, duh. Right? But Rashi adds a component that is, as in fear for yourselves. What does that mean, fear for yourselves? Fear for your life. Exactly. They're fearing for their lives. So it's not just terrified. They are terrified. So we're using, Rashi is saying, you have to understand this word vayagar that may not be familiar to you is not just an ordinary fear. It's fear for your life. So this is a normal thing that Rashi would do. Remember, Rashi's job is to clarify the simple text. That's Rashi's job. Vayakatz Moab. Now we have this great question. What does it mean that Moab detested? Or, or what is it? They, uh, what's the other word? Disheartened or sick. Became sick. Katsu They actually became sick. Literally sick in their lives. Kemoi. Similar. Katsti b'chayai. That I'm disgusted with my life. This is a shortened sentence. So Rashi is saying that they, they almost there was like days taken off of their lives. That's how sick they became. They became sick out of fear. So Rashi also now helps us understand a fascinating piece of psychology mm-hmm. right from the verse itself. That fear can make you physically sick. Emotional fear can make you physically sick. We now understand that by reading the verse itself. You understand, this, this is three and a half thousand years old. Today, this is normal parts of psychology. Three and a half thousand years ago, we had this in our books. That you can become sick out of fear. What's your takeaway now? If I had the, st- if the Torah stopped here from this week's Torah portion, what's your takeaway from two verses? Like Baal is going to find a way to even the odds. What? Baal is going to find a way to even the odds. Okay. So Balak is... Uh, yeah, he's not afraid. So he's he not afraid. So he something the others don't know. Oh, <clears throat> very good. Very good. How did you see that? Show me how you saw that. How does Balak know something the others don't know? Well, because he sees the same thing that everybody else, but he is not afraid. It's like, okay, I'm going to take care of it. And, like, and the others are afraid, so they basically don't know the same thing that Balak does. Balak witnessed what happened? Maybe. Yeah, so then he saw that it wasn't the multitude of people. How do you deduce that? If I'm just curious. Says, I, I just want to know like, how you, how you created that comment. What? He's got more guts than Maybe he has more guts. That's interesting. That's an interesting commentary there. I, I like these commentaries. I'm just trying to figure out how all, you're deducing this. It's all, all. Oh. See, see? So we have all. We have saw, which saw means that he saw it. So it could be, like, like you said, it could be that he was actually physically there, or it could be that he knew something they didn't. Or he noticed, or he noticed the weakness that he could get ahead. Oh, he knows the weakness. 
Maybe he knows the Jewish people's weakness. Why do you, how are you deducing that? Just give me an idea of how you deduce that. So this goes hand in hand if you try to figure out your enemy's weakness and the strength and how to over, overcome it. So, so you can already see there's something going on here. There's a stir. The pot is being stirred already. So let's just take a look at it in our, in our terms. Because the word that Balak saw is such a powerful statement to start a Torah portion off with. By the way, it's from verse 2, which is also strange that it starts from verse 2, which I can get into a whole other commentary on. But I'm, going to, I'm just sticking to the basic, the basic interpretation now. Did you know that um, Canada has some troops in Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. How do you know that? Canada from the news. From the media, right? Yeah. From the news. Yeah. Do, you, do you think, do you, um, did the Prime Minister have to tell you that? No. Do you think that... I didn't have to hear it from the leader. You have to hear it from the leader. So, yeah. so, so Balak, we are starting to figure out, is not an ordinary person. Balak is the king of Moab. So Balak saw something. But everybody knew the Jews were coming. Everybody knew that. It, everybody knows that there, there's Canadian troops in, in Afghanistan. It's, it's obvious. So what could Balak possibly see that everyone else didn't? And what happened? See, obviously, Balak saw something. And as a result of him seeing something, everyone got afraid. Now, they knew everything already. What do you think? The media is a new thing? There was people. There were storytellers then. They were different. They weren't slanted. They weren't biased. But there, there were always storytellers. People went around telling the news of the day. Nothing's they changed. Were the, yeah. still against the Jews. Yeah. Nothing's changed. <laughs> so the average Moabite knew what was going on. And they knew what happened. What do you think? It was a secret that the two great nations of Sichon and Og were destroyed? Everybody <laughs> knew it. I guarantee you it was front page paper. Everybody knew. So it couldn't be, this is my deduction here, it couldn't be that Balak saw what happened to Sichon and Oak, because that wouldn't make any sense, because everybody knew that. So what is it? We have to ask this question. We're going, by the way, we're now going a step further. We now went through the simple explanation. We're going to go to Remes. We're now going to go through the process of, of, of proper deduction. We now have to figure out that it could not possibly be that he saw Sichon and Og. He must have seen something else. What did he see? He saw like all the ways that Israel was doing their thing. So he saw like their arrays of like like weapons. Like how did how did you how did you deduce like, that? Because he says that he saw what he saw. He saw everything they did, like everything they used or everything they made. So something fascinating. So. There are two. Well, yeah. If I do just remember, they did nothing. God did everything for them. They did not even know. Very good. Very so good. they were just basically everybody was dead before they arrived there. That's they right. They did not know, so they did nothing. So, so what did he like, see? He's like, oh, they saw they're not doing anything. He saw something that the other that what didn't know. make any sense. He saw. Because he was government. So because he was government, the government obviously knows more than the people. Yeah. Well. It's an obvious thing. So what are we saying? We're saying that right? it's, it's amazing when they, 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 they actually um, they started releasing some, some very interesting documents on the creation of the state of Israel. 
Yeah, and like the classified documents. It's interesting to like watch and you can like see like what was going on in Washington with Truman and like all the backs and forths, literally all the conversations they released them, I don't know, three, like two, three years ago. And, and it was just like all this classified information. You realize like no one really at the time had any idea what was really going on behind closed doors. And so Balak had the closed doors. So he knew something and he knew something fascinating. What did he know? He knew the Jewish people didn't have any great power. Actually, how did he know? I'll tell you how he knew. Balak was not actually a Moabite. Huh? He was a Midianite prince. Did you know that at the time, just to give you a little bit of background, Moab and Midian were not friends. So why are they taking an enemy prince? He's like a king for hire. Essentially. Mm-hmm. Why is Moab, are the Moabites taking an enemy prince? Wind. So. They're scared out of their minds. They're scared out of their wits. So what do they do? They do something fascinating. They find out who the leader of the Jewish people are. Who's the leader of the Jewish people? Moses. 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 Where did Moses spend his formative oh. years? In Midian. In Midian. So they figured that Moses must have learned all his tricks in Midian. It's a simple, simple strategy. So they figured the Midianite prince probably understands the ways of the leader of the Jews. So they take an enemy prince for hire. Now here's the great part about it. And this is what baffles my mind. Balak who's a prince for hire, he's a king for hire, from the enemy, sees, but he's not terrified. Why is he not terrified? Because he knows it wasn't the people. But it doesn't make any sense. If they're so terrified, why is Balak, who's their king, not terrified? And we're going a step further here. You see what's going on here? Why is he not terrified? You following this? He should be terrified, too, because he's, he's going to get killed just like everybody else. Well, he can be terrified, but he, but he has no right to show it because he's a leader. Tell me, tell me how... Oh, that's an interesting thing. So you're saying that the leader has to be stronger than the people. Or at least show that he is. If you, if, for anyone who has any knowledge of the state of Israel... At the beginning of Six-Day War, Levi Eshkol, who was the Prime Minister of Israel at the time, gave a speech. And in his speech, it was one of the most powerful speeches, um, or the most important speeches in Israel's history, right in the beginning of the Six-Day War. And he, stu- he slurred his words twice. And as a result, it became panic in Israel, as a result of him slurring the words. Because he knew, behind closed doors, what other people didn't know. And he slurred. He was scared out of his wits, and he showed that in his speech. The problem is, is that Levi Eshkol was a secular leader. Had, and I, and I believe this wholeheartedly, there been a religious leader speaking at the beginning of the Six-Day War, it would have been a very different story, and I'll give you an example. The Rebbe, in the beginning of the Six-Day War, established the Tefillin campaign. And if you go into back, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. but if you go back, 
The Rebbe started saying, you're going to go out into the streets and you're going to put on tefillin on the people and it's going to scare the enemy away and no one has anything to be afraid of and Israel is going to win, Israel is going to be victorious. The Rebbe was saying this as a spiritual because we're going to put on tefillin, it's going to overpower the enemy. And it ended up being true. The, the panic that was created in Israel was reversed as a result of the, the Hasidim going around putting on tefillin in the streets for people. They, there was a certain sense of uh, of, of calmness that, that, went over, that came over the people. It's, it's still, I mean, you can read this in, in, in the Israeli history books. That, and that's, I think, the difference between a secular leader and a religious leader. That is exactly, what you're saying is so true that a, a, the job of a leader is to be strong, to take the hit for the people. Whether they, whatever they know, they have to be the ones to stand strong, not to slur their words. And especially at a time of crisis, they have to be the ones to say, we're going to be okay. So maybe an interpretation is that why is Balak not scared? Because he's the leader. And he also had a great idea to hire people to look after him. Yeah, he had this good idea, exactly. Any other interpretation that you have of why he's not scared? Well, if he knew what actually happened, and the people didn't actually, it was actually God that, that did the work. He's basically saying, you don't have to be afraid of them. There's something else, but it's not them. Very good. There's another interpretation. That's, that's the other interpretation. Don't be scared. There's something going on, but don't be scared. Look, oh. see. But we try to reduce their numbers. That's right. There's another interpretation also, there's a third interpretation, that says that Boak was just a king for hire, so he was just, he was a politician for hire. So he didn't really care. He wasn't one with the people. So even though everyone was afraid, he was like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm here, I'm looking, I'm here for you. I mean, you know, you, you brought me here. I'm going to do what I got to do, but that's about it. So that's, that's the other interpretation. So there's a, a fascinating commentary called the Or HaChayim. The Or HaChayim was the leader of the Moroccan Jewry about uh, 200 years ago. And he ended up going, 150 years ago, he ended up making his way into Israel and he spent the last, those last of his days in Israel. It, the, the story is told, story, the story is told that if the Alter Rebbe and the Arachayim would have met up, Mashiach would have come. This is what they said. <laughs> so the Arachayim was a, was, was, was a fascinating person. And he also was the first one to have a mainstream commentary that was also filled with Kabbalah. So what does he say? He denotes the Vayar Balak Ben Sipur. He said, he, he says, he asks a question. Why is it say Balak Ben Sipur? We don't see Moses Ben Amram. We don't see even later Bilam Ben whoever he is. Why is it telling, the, again, every single word in the Torah is exact. So why is it giving the name of the father of Balak? Well, actually, Balak's father's name was not Sipur. Nope, his mother's name wasn't Sipor either. <laughs> the Orachayim says, that who, who was Sipor? Sipor is a bird. And at that time, it was, there was a certain way that you could use a bird and put a spell on it and you could see the future. So when it says, Vayar Balak ben Sipor, Balak used his bird 
And Vayar, he was able to see the future. That's what Vayar means. That he was able to see something else. What is the future? Huh? Says right here. The what? What does it say? No, tell me what it says. I didn't read it. It says, by a new policy that the God has forbidden the Israel, Israelites to attack Moab, and therefore Balak had nothing to fear. That's right. Fascinating. So now we take a look at, you can start seeing the layers. That was the four, that's the fourth layer. I just, I just took two verses for you, and I, I took you through, in those verses, the four layers of understanding the simple verse. And even go so far, they all lodged there for the night. Which means what? They all rested. For what? Why are they resting? In case something happened. So let's let's stop here a second. Now that we've gone through this process, what are your what what are your if we stopped right here, what are your takeaways now? What is all what? What are you, what's your takeaway? If we stop right here, what's your takeaway? Not to be afraid to stand up. What do you take? What do you take from this? What did the Torah teach you today? Uh, what are the Jews going to do next? What are the Jews going to do next? So you up with the question? So just not uh, not take for granted the first thing you see. Just try to go behind the scene. Like no, not take for granted. Don't look at the simple explanation. There's something deeper there. What are the Moabites going to do? Now that you know what you know. Can you anticipate what the Moabites are going to do? Well. How? 40 years they spent. They put all of their real estate, all their money, everything. The entire defense force of the 31 nations of Canaan were put into two nations that were destroyed in a day. What are they going to do? Well, it's not them. They don't give food. They don't give water and all this. No, it's nope. not them. Find another army. In a day? <laughs> you want to... Well, there were sorcerers at that time or whatever. They, they were sorcerers, but the sorcerers... So he saw something. We don't know yet what he saw. Where if you take the Orachim's interpretation, he saw something through his sorcery. Are you curious to find out what happens? Do you want to know the rest of the story? You want, you want to know the rest of the story? Okay. Let's, let's now. Now let's just kind of... What? Let's, let's take a look at the next few verses. They tried to catch the... Plan to curse the Israeli life by catching God off guard. So. By Yomer Moab. We're going to go over with the third verse in this week's Torah portion which is the fourth verse in chapter 22. 
And Moab said, to the elders of Minyad, remember, they're not friends. They're right now frenemies, like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's what's going on right now. What do they say? Now this assembly is going to lick up. It's like almost poetic. Everything around us. Just as the ox eats the herbs of the field. It's poetic. Why is he referring to the ox? Because if the ox eats and it, the ox regurgitates the food, it uh, chews its cud, what's left is, is really nothing. Uvalak ben Sipor and Balak ben Sipor, Melech Moab Be'esahib was the king of Moab at the time. Now we know who this Balak is. The Torah now tells us that Balak is the king of Sipor. Sorry, Baruch ben Sipor is the king of Moab. Rashi. But they were not, but were they not ancient enemies? See, Rashi's asking this question. I knew this because from the Asik's Torah portion, we knew they were enemies. But Rashi is, is reminding us, aren't these ancient enemies? Midian and Moab? Shenemar, like it says, where does it say this? It says this already before. Hamakes Midian Basadeh Moab, who attacked Midian in the field of Moab. So we know that these two people, these two nations are enemies. So when Midian went to war against Moab, they became their enemies. Yet, Rashi continues, because of the fear of the Jewish people, they made peace. Why do the Moabites see fit, Rashi asks, to accept advice from Midian? When they saw the supernatural victories of Israel, they said, their leader was raised in Midian. Let him ask them what the character is. And they told them he has no power except with the mouth. They said, we too will confront them with the man whose power is in his mouth. So now they're using the Midianites. They're saying, the Midianites said to them, Moses, we know Moses. He's not strong. He didn't go to the gym very much. <laughs> we know the Moses. Moses has the power of his mouth, which is fascinating because Moses couldn't speak. But this is the... This is the it's fa- when you see like all the different things, that they're just like, they're obviously in panic mode, so they're just creating these narratives that do or don't exist, and they, are, they may or may not be true. The articulate leader of Jewish <laughs> Exactly. So they're saying, oh, so therefore, this mouth, well, this mouth, they're referring to his prayer. Disruption of the prayer. So they're trying to figure out we have to fight fire with fire. We can't go to battle. Why are we going to go to battle? We're going to go to battle with prayer. We're going to prayer battle. This is going to be a prayer. This is going to be a prayer showdown. (laughs) So... Just looking at other, let's just look at the, the other Rashi, Be'es Ha'hi, that he was, in, he, was in, he was insinuated for royalty because he was one of the heads of Midian, and he went, and when Sihon died, he was appointed over them. Sihon was the, the king of Midian, 
So he, the, he was appointed over them for a temporary time. Sorry, Sichon was the king of Moab. So Balak became the king after Sichon died. So what do they do? Now they're ready to fight the Jewish people. How are they going to fight the Jewish people? By Yishlach Malachim. They send messengers. El Bilam. We have a new person that just pops up here in our Torah. To Bilam, Ben Ba'or, to Pesor. To Bilam, the son of Ba'or, to Pesor. Asher Al-Hanar, which is by the river. Eretz Bnei Amo, the land of his people. Likro, they called him, lo, saying, Lamar, the following, Hine am yotzam imitzrayim, behold, a nation came out of Egypt. What are they saying to him? They're outsiders. Oh, very good. They're starting off. What are they, what are they trying to do to Bilam? Are they trying to like wet his palate or yeah, something? They're building it up. They're building up yeah. the narrative, right? Behold, a nation comes out of Egypt. It's interesting they were called a nation. Ah, there we go. Back to Am, right? Back to that panic mode that we were talking about. They have covered the face of the earth. I'm just kind of picturing this, this whole scene. It's like they're like a tornado. It's kind of like what they're building up here, right? And it's located across from me. Fa'ata and now Lechana, please come. Arali, curse, curse them. Asa'am, this nation has curse them for me. Ki atsum hu many, because it's too mighty for me. Ulai uchal nakebo, perhaps it will enable us to strike at them. To banish them from the land. Because I know whoever blesses you is blessed. And whoever curses you is cursed. So they're speaking his language. They're buttering him up. They're saying, Oh, Bilam, come curse these people because whoever you bless is blessed. Whoever you curse is cursed. We can dissect each and every single one of these moments here. We're not going to because we'd be here for hours. And we want to get through the story. And days. And days. You could, but I, the, the, I, I just did the two, first two so verses just so you can see how it works. But I wanted to still kind of get through the story. Yes? So how smart was he that he even thought that mercenaries and higher mercenaries to come help him and, and fight him? This is fascinating because it, it is. Balak is actually a better sorcerer than Bilam. Okay. So why did he go to why did they go to Bilam? Well, it says that Balaam was right about him becoming king. Yeah, because Bilam, they thought Bil, they tried Balak. That was the whole point. The reason why they put Balak there because Balak was a sorcerer. They figured that would be the beginning of trying to mess with the Jews, but it didn't work. So they figured they go to Bilam, and Bilam was right before. But it was Balak that sent the messengers, wasn't it? Yeah. To yeah. get Bilam. Balak sent. Yeah, but Bilam. so so Balak figured that maybe Bilam had knew something he didn't. 
And also, if it doesn't work, I'm not the one to put the glasses. Oh, there you go. You see, there's the other interpretation. I'm not, uh, hands off. I'm just, I'm just the king for hire. I'm just the king for hire. If it doesn't work, I don't think, look, look, I, 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 look the truth is, I don't think it's happen, anything's happening over here. But you know what? It's worth a try. And uh, if, it, if it doesn't work, it's no harm to me. And if it does work, good. But he's counting on God for his blessings to make it happen. So there's, there's so many great questions here, right? Because... Is there such a thing as a Gentile prophet? Is God, is, is, is there real Gentile prophets? So the Medrash says that Balaam could have, Bilam could have been an amazing prophet. Actually, he was so, such a great prophet, even greater than Moses. And he could have brought what's called the Ameharites, the nations of the world, to a higher level. But he was selfish. And that was his downfall. And because he was selfish, he, he, he messed up. And he became a, a, a selfish prophet. Yeah, so he was basically, he decided his selfishness, he became a prophet for hire. This is what he did. People used to pay him. And he wasn't cheap. <laughs> no, really, he wasn't cheap. He was very expensive. Yeah, he was a prophet for hire. It's not a joke. He was a fortune of money. But that's what mercenaries do. Yeah. They go to the highest bidder. That's it. He went to the highest bidder. Said, I'll save you. But they had to fork up a lot of money. The one who paid the most. They had to fork up a lot of money. So. Sounds Jewish. No. <laughs> Let's continue the Torah. The elders of Moab and Midyad went with magic charms in their hands and they came to Bilam. You know why they went with magic charms? Because they were afraid that maybe he was going to say he couldn't do it. They were like, ah, we got the toolbox. <laughs> you can't do the, the cursing thing. We brought everything you need for your curse. And they conveyed Balak's message to him. And he replied to them, spend your night here. And then I'm going to give you an answer. According to what Hashem tells me. So... The dignitaries remain there with Bilam. He says, spend the night. Why do you think he tells him to spend the night? Or Rashi, right? Obviously. You can almost imagine, if you have a question like that, a simple question on the Torah, you're going to look at Rashi, Rashi has the same question. Like, why is he spending the night? Right? Go to Rashi. Boom. Rashi says, the sacred spirits visit him only at night. And it's the same with all the Gentile prophets. Mm -hmm. And it was the same with Lavan, in a, he, Lavan had a dream at night. Like it says, God appeared to Lavan the Aramean in a dream at night, like a man who visits his concubine secretly. Well, there's a saying today too, like go to sleep on this and sleep tomorrow you'll Sleep on it, exactly. On so just, but the point is, I'm just kind of showing this to you so you can see if you ever wanted to go into the verse itself, if you have a question on the verse, the odds are that Rashi's going to automatically answer that question. Most, I would say, in my, in my questions, I would say 8 of 10 are, are answered by Rashi. So now, yeah. So Bilam is this prophet from Midian. Yeah. And Midian had all sorts of idols. Actually. That's right. And that's where Moses' father-in-law came from. That's right. right. So why is Who was the priest? specifically He was the priest saying, of Midian. Huh? Moses' father-in-law, Yitzro, was the priest of Midian. Right. He'd done all sorts of... Sorts That's of right. So why is it here where um, Bilam is answering 
So Bilam is a fascinating person. He stands in a league of his own. Um, we know Bilham. He's Bilham. He's not not the first time that he appears. Does anyone know where else he appears? Was that with Pharaoh? Close, close. So when Sinai was happening, the Midrash says that the people heard the commotion at Sinai. People around, okay. and they went to Bilam, yeah. and they asked him what was going on. They thought there was a natural disaster. They said, is there another flood? Did God bring another flood? Mm. And Bilam told them, no, I see that God is giving the Torah to the Jewish people. So we know Bilam. He's, he's in a league of his own already. So the fact that they're going to him makes sense. Because he is the only one, and Balak knows this. Since he's a, he's a better sorcerer than Bilam, but he knows this. So he says, we've got to go to Bilam because he, he's the guy who can, who can curse the Jews. Because his curses work. But he knows. Very different skills, exactly. So he said, Bilam is the Jew guy. If you wanna if you wanna deal with the Jews, if you wanna if you want a war of words, if you want the prayer showdown, you're gonna have to go to this guy. I don't know. It's it's Bilam. It's really Bilam. Yeah. In mine it says Bilam. So Guess what happens? Verse 9. God appears to Bilam. Well, we know already from Rashi, he appears to him in a dream in the middle of the night. Who are these men with you? Now, why is God asking this question to Bilam? We don't take anything for granted when we, when we read the verse. Why would God be asking Bilam the question? Who are these men with you? God doesn't know who the men are. Second, he asked yes. Adam. Uh, well, no, no, no. Who does he ask? Avram, right? Where are you? <laughs> what do you mean? He doesn't know where Avram is. And Avram has to say, Hineni, here I am. Right? We see that before. So it's a similar situation between Hashem and Avram. And now, a similar thing happens. What do you mean? Why does Hashem say this? So, of course, Rashi is going to answer the question. We go to Rashi. Rashi says he gave him the opportunity for error. Bilam said, at times, not everything is revealed to him. He's not, uh, he's not divine. So, I shall divine a time when I can curse without his understanding. So, basically, Bilam had to kind of, the way he cursed was like, almost like from behind God. He had to like trick God, like, like Norm said before. He had to trick God in order to curse. So what, what, when God says, who are these men with you? Hashem is actually giving him an opportunity to back out. So Bilam replies, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, he sent them to me. And now, fascinatingly enough, he repeats the same thing. Behold, the people that came out of Egypt has covered the face of the earth. Come now and curse him for me. So I'll be able to wage war against him and banish him. What's your question? Ask the question. The Torah has every word exact. The Torah doesn't say so many things about this story. Why is it repeating the same thing? We already know that before. He could have just said, you know, that these are, this is people that came from, from Balak. See verse 7 for, for, for what he said. You know? Why is it repeating it? Maybe to remind us that it, or whatever, that it's not him that wants that, but he is on a 
work for somebody else. Okay. And maybe he doesn't really agree or he doesn't really want or I don't know. God's reiterating that they shouldn't curse people. Rashi sheds light on this in a way that I've seen few Rashis do. This to me is, a, is like a shocking moment if you, if you look at it. What does he say? Why does he repeat it? Because he basically says, Rashi says, why does he say twice? Because he says, although, God, you don't think I'm good, Balak thinks I'm good. He's basically showing his cards to God, saying that they think I'm all that in a bag of chips. They think I'm great. He literally is trying to boast to God about his greatness. <laughs> Why is he doing that? He, he almost like he has to pick himself up. He's almost, in a sense, putting God down in this conversation with God. He's putting him down in order to build himself up, saying, oh, you don't think I'm so great, but they think I'm awesome. It's kind of a passive-aggressive movement. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. We're aggressive. Canadians, this is very Canadian. He's like, God, me, you don't think I'm anything. But these guys, I'm a big deal over here, okay? So, like, they're looking for my autograph. The big motto. That's it. So, God says to Bilam, straight up, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people. They are blessed. The end. You must not. What do you think happens? Well, it's not the answer the other one wants to hear. So Why not? It's a great answer. He asked God. He said, he yes. said to the people, I'm going to wait to see what God says. God told him. Straight yes. up. There's nothing to, to, to challenge. Now, come on. Go away. So we sent... He sent hired dignitaries I mean, to take care of all this. No, I said, well, Bilam is going to listen because that's the answer. You don't curse. So he has to say to the other, I'm not doing it because the God doesn't want. So go tell your boss that I'm not going to do it. Bye. I almost feel bad for Bilam here. Why? Because it's like God's like, you're useless. Stop just... Stop everything you're doing. <laughs> he's like, he's like not, don't curse them because it'll be bad for you. Don't like, bless them. I already took care of it. Right? Yeah, but even Just, more so, though, there's like a thing. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you're really nothing. You think you're all that? Well, too bad. You're not. <laughs> yeah. so I'm here now. There's something even more so where Balak's description of Bilam was that whoever he blesses are blessed and whoever he curses yeah. are cursed. And now your God is specifically saying you must not go to, go to you must not go to curse these people because they are blessed already. He almost. He, uh, first of all, how how much clearer can God be? Pretty <laughs> direct. As passive aggressive as Bilam is, <laughs> and and by the way, you're going to find this about Jewish values. This is a very important lesson, and it keeps on coming up in the Torah over and over again. Jewish values are not vague. They're not passive-aggressive or passive in any way. They're very direct. Look at all the commandments, starting from the Big Ten, 
Every single one is direct. And you'll see God's message to Moses, to the Jewish people, is always direct. You not place for, God says it straight. And I think it's such an important lesson in our lives, how you have to see. Someone asks you, say it. Say the thing. You know, you're going to hurt them, you're going to hurt them. Okay. That's the way Hashem does, especially when it comes to, to good things. Officially, our hour is up. Can we continue? I'm just asking for permission. Yeah. No, sure. I, I was, it was supposed to be an hour of this class. Can we continue? Is it okay? Continue. Permission granted? Okay. I want to just finish the story. Bilam wakes up in the morning and he says to Balak's dysenteries exactly what we, we think he's going to say. Go back to your land. God refuses to allow me to go with you. Happy birthday. The end. So... Moab's dignitaries got up and they came to Balak and they said, guess what? Bilam refuses to go with us. Balak persists. He knows this is his only way. He sends dignitaries in greater number and of higher rank than these. Just in case you didn't think you were that great, Bilam. Just in case you were feeling a little depressed, I'm going to bring you greater people. They come to Bilam and they say to him, the following is a message from Balak, the son of Zippor. Please do not refuse to come from, to me, for I will honor you greatly. And whatever you tell me, I will do. If you would just please come and curse this people for me. Bilam answers, Balak's servants. He says, even if Balak would give me Silver and gold, enough to fill his house. I cannot transgress on the word of God by doing anything small or great. By the way, little trivia. Does anyone know where this other, where, where there's this reference? Malo, Beto, Ketzav, Enough gold and silver to fill the house. Where is this used? Any other place? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Why would you say Yeshua? I don't know. The house of... Uh... Okay. Oh, yes. Uh, of, of, uh, yes. Why, why do you say Joseph? Just because, like, all the... I don't know. In the year 1948 from creation, there is a, a man who oh. is the general of Nimrod. His, na- his general of Nimrod, his name is Terach. He's the head of the armies of Mesopotamia, of Kuta, of Nimrod's armies. He has a boy that's born. And, Nim, and, and the stargazers of Nimrod see that this boy is going to take over the throne. And so Nimrod goes to Terach, the general, and he says, give me the son that was born to you this night, and in return, I will give you silver and gold enough to fill your house. That's the term that he uses. Shameless plug if you haven't seen Young Abraham yeah. yet. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, that's, the, that's the reference. So Bilam is sticking to his guns. He's not going against the word of God. It's amazing. Think about it. He's a Gentile prophet. He's not going against the word. But then he says something very interesting. He adds something. He already said no. But then he says, oh, no. Now, um, can you stay overnight? Stick 
and I'm going to let you know what more Hashem will tell me. <laughs> it's funny, it's like a, a chess... Pl- a it's like a little bit of a chess game, right? Yeah. Maybe a little bit. You said no, but you know... Okay. Okay. Yeah. According to some, it was King Solomon's chess strategy, uh, war strategy. That's how chess was created, according to some opinions. God appeared to Bilaam that night, and he says, If the men have come to call you... It's interesting, this time God doesn't say, Who are the people? Yeah. Just saying. If the men have come to call you, arise and go with them. <coughs> However, whatever I will say to you, you will do. And so Bilaam arose in the morning, and he saddled his donkey, and he went with the Moabite dignitaries. God showed anger because he went. Do you understand what just happened? God told him to go. And why is he angry? Because he's basically saying, fine, go. Vayit Yatsev Malach Hashem Baterach and an angel of God who placed himself on the way. The Satan, lo, to, to, to change it. And he was riding on his donkey. He was accompanied by two attendants. And the donkey saw the angel of God standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hands. And the donkey turned aside from the way and he went into the field. And Bilam struck the donkey to get it back on the way. But the angel of God stood in the narrow path of the vineyards with the barrier at either side. But the donkey saw the angel of God. She was pressed against the wall and pressed Bilaam's foot against the wall, and struck her. he struck her even more. And Hashem's angel passed further ahead and stood in the narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of God, it crouched beneath Bilaam, and Bilaam became angry and beat the donkey with a stick. Hashem opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey now spoke to Bilaam. What have I done to you that you've hit me these three times? Bilam said to the donkey, Because you have ridiculed me. Would that I had a sword in my hands, I would kill you now. The donkey replied to Bilam, I am not the very same donkey that you have been riding on all your life until this very day. Was it ever my habit to do this to you? And he said, No. Hashem then enabled Bilam to see and he observed the angel of God standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hands, and he bowed his head and prostrated himself. And the angel of God said to him, Why did you hit your donkey these three times? Behold, I came to you once again. Repeat it again. It's a whole different commentary on that. Behold, I came out to obstruct you because your way is contrary to me. And when the donkey saw me, it turned aside these three times. Had she not turned aside before me, as she did now, I would surely have killed you, and she I would let live. Bilaam said to the angel of God, I have sinned because I do not know that you were standing in the way before me. And therefore, if it is wicked in your eyes, I shall return. The angel of God said to Bilaam, go with the men. But the word that I will speak to you shall you speak. Bilaam then continued to go with Balak's dignitaries. And when Balak heard that Bilam was coming, he went out to meet him in the city of Moab, which is in the boundary of Arnon, at the very edge of the boundary. Balak said to Bilam, Do not, Did I not send so many dignitaries to invite you? Why didn't you come to me? 
Am I really incapable of honoring you? Bilam replied to Balak, Now that I've come to you, have I any power to say anything? Only the word that God puts in my mouth will I speak. <laughs> Bilam went with Balak, and they came to Kiryat Chutzot. Balak slaughtered cattle and sheep, and he sent some to Bilam, to the dignitaries that were with him. And in the morning, Balak took Bilam, and he led him up to the Bamot Baal. And there he saw part of the people. Bilam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here, and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Bilam requested, and Balak and Bilam then sanctified the burnt offerings, an ox and a ram in each altar. Bilam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering, and I will go away. Perhaps Hashem will appear to me, and whenever he will show, I will tell you. And he went away alone. God chanced to appear to Bilam, and he said to him, Obviously, if you think, it's obviously that obviously must not have been in a dream if it was a chanced appearance. I've set up seven altars, and I offered the burnt offering, the ox and the ram on the altar. Hashem put a message in Bilam's mouth, and he said, Return to Balak and tell him the following. When he returned, Balak was still standing next to his burnt offering together with the dignitaries of Moab. Bilam set forth his parable, and he said, From Aram has Balak, king of Moab, brought me out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come curse Yaakov for me. Go invoke wrath against Israel. How can I curse when God has not cursed? What divine wrath can I evoke if God has not been angry? For I view it from the mountain peaks. I gaze upon it from the hills. Behold the people which shall dwell alone. I will not be reckoned among the nations who can count the dust of Yaakov or count the seed of Israel. May my soul die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Balak said to Bilam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but you have in fact blessed them. Bilam replied and said, only what Hashem tells me must I be careful to say. Balak then said to him, come with me to another place from where you will see them but you only see part of them without seeing them at all and the curse them there from me there. He took Bilam to the field of Tzopim, to the peak of the mountain. He built seven altars and sacrificed his burnt offering, a bull and a ram on each altar. And then he said to Balak, stand here next to the burnt offering and I will call, be called here by chance. Hashem chanced appeared to Bilam once again and placed a word in his mouth. Return to Balak and say, when he returned, Balak was still standing next to his burnt offering. Accompanied by the Moabite dignitaries, Balak asked, What did Hashem say? Bilam set forth his parable. Arise, Balak, and hear. Listen closely to me, son of Sipor. God is not like man, that he should act falsely, nor is he mortal, that he should change his mind. Would he say and not do it, or speak and not fulfill it? Behold, I was commanded to bless when he has blessed. I cannot reverse it. One does not see evildoers in Jacob. And he has not seen transgression in Israel. Hashem, his God, is with him and he has the king's friendship. God, who has brought them out of Egypt, has shown his great strength to them. 
For there's no sorcery in Jacob, nor occult powers against Israel. In due time it will be said to Jacob and Israel, What has God done? Behold a people that rises like a young lion and lifts itself up like a lion. He does not lie down until devours its prey <coughs> and drinks the blood of its kill. Balak said to Bilaam, Also do not curse them. Also do not bless them. Bilaam answered to Balak, Did I not tell you? That what Hashem tells me, I will do. Balak then says to Bilam, Come, I'm going to take you somewhere else a third time. Maybe God will consider it proper to curse them there. He's really trying hard, this guy. Balak took Bilam to the peak of Pahor, which overlooks Yeshimon. Bilam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Bilaam said, and he sacrificed the burnt offering, the bull and the ram on each altar. And when Bilaam saw that it was favorable to God to bless the Jewish people, he did not approach as at each time towards sorcery, but he set his face towards the wilderness. Bilaam raised his eyes, and he saw the Jewish people according to its tribes, and the Spirit of God rested upon them. He set forth the next parable, and he said, This is the declaration of Bilaam, the son of Baar. This is the declaration of the man of the open-socketed eye. This is the declaration of the one who hears God's utterance, who sees the vision of the Almighty, fallen with open eyes. How goodly are your tents. Yaakov, this became one of the most powerful prayers. We say this every day in our Siddur. Matovu alecha Yaakov, mishkinotecha Yisrael. Your dwelling place is Israel. They stretch forth like streams, like gardens by the river, like the aloe trees that Hashem has planted, like cedar trees by the water. Water flows out from his buckets, and his seed will have an abundant flow. The king will be greater than Agag, and his monarchy shall be uplifted. God, who has brought him out of Egypt, has shown his great strength to him. He will consume his enemy nations, crushing their bones, and dip his arrows in their blood. He crouches and lies like a lion, and being a lion, who dare rouse him? Those who are blessed, those who you bless are blessed. And those who you curse are cursed. Now Balak became enraged with Bilam. Three times. They clapped his hands together. Balak then said to Bilam, I called you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them three times. And by the way, these blessings became some of the most powerful blessings. To this day we use these blessings. These are one of the greatest blessings that we have. Some of them. Now hurry back home. And I said I would exceedingly honor you, but Hashem has held you back from honor. Bilaam said to Balak, even to your emissaries whom you sent me, I said, even if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot transgress the word of Hashem to do good or evil on my own. Only what Hashem declares I will speak. And now I'm returning to my people and I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the end of days. And he set forth his parable and he said, in this declaration of Bilam the son of Baor, the declaration of the man of the open socketed eye. This is the declaration of the one who hears God's utterances and knows the thoughts of the most exalted, who sees the vision of the Almighty fallen with open eyes. I see it, but now I perceive it, but not in the near future. A star has gone forth from Yaakov, and a staff has arisen from Israel, which will smash the corners of Moab and impale all the sons of Shez. Edom 
will be possession, and Seir shall become the possession of his enemies. But Israel will triumph. A ruler shall come from Jacob, who will annihilate the survivors of the city. And when Bilam saw Amalek, he declared his parable and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, and his end will be total destruction. When he saw the Canaanites, he set forth the parable, and he said, How powerful is your dwelling place? And set a cliff for your nest. And for if Cain is to be uprooted, then where will Ashur take your captive? And he set forth his parable and said, Alas, who can survive from God's devastation? Warships will come from Kitim and destroy Ashur and cause suffering to those on the other side. But they too shall be lost for eternity. And Balaam went home. And Balak went in his way. And that's the end of the story. That's it. Now, fail. Great fail. And later, they, they, they later they, they they take over. Now, here's here's what's fascinating. Bilam is this immoral person. He had a mystical power to curse. Whoever he cursed would be cursed. Now, the evil king of Moab. This Balak saw Israel advancing. They were scared. They were frightened. So he hires Bilam to curse the Jewish people in order to stop them from advancing towards him. Now, although we know that Bilam also has the power to bless he ends up becoming exactly the opposite of who he was. He was a selfish cursor for hire. And he ends up doing exactly the opposite of his nature. Three times. Three times. Plus. Plus. There's even a bunch more at the end. But every time he tries to curse, God changes his words. And he actually ends up blessing the people that he was hired to curse. So, if God had not interceded, Bilam would have been able to curse the Jewish people. Now, the logical question, and this is how I'm going to end off tonight, is how can such an immoral person have such a mystical power? Aren't mystical powers gifts of God? And if so, why would God reward such an evil person by not giving him this power, but also allowing him to become the prophet of those nations? Now that you know the story, I think it becomes so much more powerful to see what ends up who he was, what ends up happening as a result of what he does. And why would God, if God is changing his words to begin with, why is God, cre- like, like, what is this? God's game of, uh, what did you say before? Uh, huh? Game of Thrones. Whatever, this is, what is this? God's game of Thrones? I don't know what game of Thrones is, but. G-O-T. Gut. Is it? Is it God? Is this, is this a God's uh, playing with the, the future of the people? I don't, I don't understand it. And this is a beautiful Kabbalistic explanation. This is the next level, the last level that I'm going to teach you today. Whatever we, as human beings, become attached to spiritually, that is what we will manifest. It's a startling statement. It means that no matter what spiritual practice someone engages, they're going 
to manifest something from their effort. Which means even spiritually impure practices can cause spiritual results. So if a person dedicates their spiritual practice to foolishness and nothing, something could still happen as a result of it. And there are, there are so obvious today where you have so many spiritual seekers. Millions of Buddhists are meditating for hours of a day, literally on nothing. With such a foolish practice, one would think meditating on nothing that Sorry. nothing... Sorry. One would think that nothing would come mm-hmm. from it. But the most successful of them will gain a radiant glow on their faces. Seemingly beyond nature. You can see there are people who practice meditation and they're like otherworldly almost. And they're actually going to gain many benefits stemming from their detachment from the physical world. For instance, you could have someone who meditates for years and they look very young. They could be older, but they actually look really young. They can actually live longer. We know the, the, the scientific benefits of meditation. They can appear extraordinarily calm. So, if these are false religions, if this is the wrong way to do it, if Bilam is wrong, if the practices are wrong, how can they produce such wonders? So we have free will. And I think this, more than anything, is what the Torah teaches us, this week's Torah portion, and the story of Bilam, is that even if a false prophet gives a sign or performs a wonder, we should not listen to them. So, it's, we know that it's possible that a false prophet can do something great. When Avram sent his children, whom he fathered with Keturah, away to the east, he gave them gifts. The commentators explain that these were unclean, evil powers. In the Torah portion of Vayera, it's explained that Avram gave them the gifts so that we can see from the Torah itself that there are such powers in the world. So we know that that there's always an opposite. There's goodness and there's the opposite of goodness. That the world is balanced with different ways. And there's different things that can look good but they come from evil sources. Now wouldn't it make more sense for God to reserve the mystical powers only for the pure and righteous students and not make them available through crooked practices? But as Leah said, if God did that, the free will would have been removed from the world. And if all the wonders only came from Torah practices, then who would go astray? But God wants there to be choice in the world. One of the basic principles is that God gives rewards according to the effort. If there would be no free will, there would be little effort. So with these other powerful options, we have a real choice, an actual real choice in our lives of which way to go. If Bilaam displayed no wonders, if Bilaam wasn't amazing, if this wasn't an awesome experience, then the nations of the world could claim that they behaved the way they did because they didn't have a prophet to guide them. 
So we see that these false prophets actually do have powers. And of course, sadly, many millions of their followers are satisfied with such wonders and continue the practices that are produced by them. It's not just that they're satisfied with these wonders, but even worse, they believe the wonders are proof that their practices are right. They use the wonders to offset the actual deed. They say, oh, you see, it's proof that it works. Look. And I think this, from this, from the Bilam, from this whole experience, we can see what evil is in the world and how evil can be enclosed in something so good. Because without this evil, we would have no real choice to do good. So now, if these powers come to such people like Bilam, in order for there to be free will in the world, so the question becomes this. Since God interceded and stopped Bilam from cursing the Jewish people, do we really have free will? It's clear. He tried to curse. God changes it three times. Beautiful blessings. We love them. We cherish them. They're some of the greatest blessings. They're even in the Torah. We even named the portion after the guy. Balak. Beautiful. We don't have that many portions named after evil people. You can count them on uh, not even one hand. I mean, Yitro, you can say, but he's not even an evil person. He changed his ways. Balak's the only one. Korach. When Hashem intercedes with the flow of nature, it's called a miracle. Other than these rare occasions, we're told that we have free will. But we're also told that God is incredible. That God is, I don't know what the word they use, like this word, like omnipotent. But it seems to be a contradiction. Is God all-powerful? And if God is all-powerful, then by definition, God must have all the power in the entire creation. And if he has all the power, then how are we doing anything at all? Yet alone, supernatural wonders. If he's totally all-powerful, then who's choosing what to do? And, And yet alone doing it. This is an absolute paradox. A paradox that is not a contradiction like we thought. It's an apparent contradiction. And there's a vast difference here. Use the all and the particular as an illustration for a moment. The all is all there is, or else it couldn't be the all. But there's also particulars. In our lives, we get used to using absolutes. It's always like that. You're always terrible. You're always bad. Why do you always do that? We become so accustomed to absolutes. And as a result, we live in a world of absolutes. What the Torah here is teaching us is a very powerful lesson. Don't live in a world of absolutes. Live in a world of also's or particulars. You also always do that. It's not always anymore. Just add the also. You're also the greatest thing that ever happened to the world. 
I'm curious, Brad, why did you stop at Balak Leaves and it sounds like Balan fails and then he succeeds and destroys us? Yes. And Pentas shows up. That's right. Okay. I'm going to tell you in a second why. I'm going to end <laughs> off with this. When you touch, oh, you happy ending. Balan fails. It's like you you read ahead and you're like, oh man, doesn't exactly fail. So, the also when you touch a particular, you have to also be touching the all, because wherever you touch is the all. You know why? Because God is not two; God is only one. So whatever you touch that's godly is connected with the all. So use the particulars. Use the alsos. Because within the also's, you have the all's. Within the also, you have the all. Okay. But still, you can't say that the particular is the all. Because this particular is not any other particular. It's just as one particular, whereas the all is the entire all, including all the particulars. Got it? No. Okay. <laughs> You want to know, why did I stop the story at the, at the happy ending? So what does he do? He does something so fascinating. What does he do? He says, if you want to get to the Jewish people, get to them through the women. Yeah. Send out your girls, and they're going to corrupt. And I know one thing, that when the Jews are corrupt, God is not on their side. And he does it. They send out all the Midianite girls, the and they, the Moabite, sorry, the Moabite girls, and the Moabite girls start destroying from within. Those Gentile girls, they destroy from within. And it becomes the story of the Jewish people, to the point where the head of the tribe of Shimon, Zimri, Zimri ends up going into the middle of the, 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 the Jewish people where everyone was in the town square. And he take, there's a girl from Moabite, girl. Her name is Cosby. Not Cosby. Cosby. <laughs> and Cosby goes with Cosby and he performs an act right in the middle of the Jewish people to show how corrupt... This has all become. And then we end off the Torah portion with this incredible act which baffles me more than any other act. And all of the Torah. Pinchas takes a spare and puts it right through both of them. And he is honored and praised. And that ends the plague and the Jewish people are okay afterwards. As Brisi Shalom, the beginning of next week's Torah portion says, enters a time of peace for a little bit. Free will is a powerful thing. Hashem gives us messages and signs over and over and over again. Constantly saying. First, Hashem says, sends us a message, and we don't listen. And we constantly don't listen, but Hashem continues to send us messages. So Hashem is not interfering. It's not the all that's interfering with the particulars. Hashem is sending us messages so that we understand, so we constantly have the ability to return and to be part of His people. But that's hard. It's hard. 
And so it takes Torah portions like this where you see so clearly none of this should have ever happened. But it all happened. And the reason why it happened is because here we are 3,000 years later in a different place, a different time, telling over the story, reliving it, re-experiencing it, understanding it. And we're going to learn a lesson for our lives. We're going to learn three lessons. The first lesson we're going to learn the power of leadership. What it means. The second, we're going to learn about corruption. And the third, we're going to learn about is free will. Leadership, corruption, and free will. And my blessing to you is that may all their curses be blessings always. Amen. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.